Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. All right, once again, I'd like to ask our brother Mike to come up and share the message the Lord has laid on his heart. Okay, get back to our study, and uh, glad you're here to hear it. I, I did want to ask, uh, did our visitor get, did you get a handout, ma'am? Okay, good. So I wanted to be sure, uh, because that way you can kind of know where we've been here as we continue to look at these do's and don'ts uh, and commands and blessings and rewards and all these wonderful things that come to us and uh, are given to us by wisdom. We can call it lady wisdom, as we've seen. We, we can call it the Lord because he's the source of it. And uh, we want to return to the study and just jump back in where we left off. Uh, we are on Roman numeral 3, if you're following along. And we're looking at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, and at the command now, the do, um, the, the don't was to, uh, we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. The don't will be do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, that's Proverbs 3, 5. First of all, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, now, I want to raise a question here. I want you to think with me in terms of context. Um, and the question is, why does Solomon bring this up right here? As he's instructing his son, why does he bring this up right at this point uh, when he says, trust in the Lord? Such a familiar verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Um, why bring that up now? Uh, well, uh, Solomon just ended on a very positive note, telling us that in obeying his teachings, his law, his wisdom, as he's instructing his son, uh, we will be re rewarded with favor, with a good reputation in the sight of God and man. And so again, why right here? Why mention trust? I think a passage in the New Testament gives us some insight into that. Um, and in fact, it is 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12, where like Solomon, Paul was writing to a son. He was writing to his son in the faith. And he said, now you followed, that is imitated and obeyed, my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. You followed all of those. You imitated those things as you saw them in my life. Uh, what persecutions excuse me, um, he says, such has happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So why did Solomon bring up the issue of trust at this point in chapter 3? I think that at least part of the reason was because being the wise man that he was, he knew that if his son lived this kind of godly life, he would face some flack, right? In this sinful world, he would face uh, some flack, some uh, resistance. He would encounter that. He would be going against the current, against the wind, if you will. And so he knew he would encounter those things. Uh, 
Lady Wisdom knew, knows this. The Lord knows this. And so Solomon's instructing him in this way. When we live godly in Christ Jesus in a godless and fallen world, we're going to encounter some resistance, right? Uh, it's not going to just be smooth sailing. And if it's 100% of the time smooth sailing, then we're probably not making too much of a difference in our world. You know, that, I mean, that's what Paul's saying to Timothy here. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind. You know, recently in Grand Rapids, our, our assembly, our local church up there has gone through some difficult times. Um, and is still probably going through some deep waters, including satanic attacks, sin in the camp, sickness and death, trials and tribulations, confusion, frustration, painful experiences, even persecution in some cases. And folks, all local churches experience that at one time or another. Uh, Again, because if we're really making a difference in this world, Uh, Satan's not going to like that. Sinful men are not going to like that. And there will be be resistance. Uh, We, brothers and sisters, need to remember that we're not home yet, right? Denny's home, but we're not home to heaven yet. And we're still living on a battlefield in this world. Um, We still live in a sinful, fallen world with sinful and imperfect people, including me, and, and we still have problems and still face uh, difficult situations. Um, we, have a, we have a spiritual and immortal and infernal enemy known as the devil, known as Satan. And that always, he always causes us problems in various ways. Uh, he is hell-bent on lying to us, resisting us, stealing from us, killing us if he can, um, and destroying us. Because that's what the Bible says. Amen. That's what the Lord Jesus said. My point is that why Solomon knew that those who seek to obey God and follow his wisdom will at times face difficult times. Because remember, this is war. I shared this with the men at a breakfast a week or so ago. This is war we're fighting, right? This is war we're fighting. Uh, this is spiritual and in some cases mortal combat. You just ask the believers in Ukraine what they're dealing with, right? Um, So we must walk in wisdom and put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6 tells us, and resist the devil. And James says he will flee from us. Uh, And as we know from Ephesians 6, 10 and following, we must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Also, we must remember the words of Peter, who wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Sounds like it's really apropos for today, doesn't it? After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory 
in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's be honest here. The trouble with many Christians today is that we have had it, and I'm including myself in this we, we have had it so good for so long that we are not always of sober spirit, nor are we always on the alert. And the end result is that we can, uh, is, is that when Satan, when satanic resistance comes and we are persecuted, we go into a spiritual and emotional tailspin. And folks, I'd like it uh, to be that in terms of preaching these messages from Proverbs and what we're preaching today, I'd like for it to be that we not do that. Amen? That we don't go into an emotional tailspin and say, oh, what are we going to do? You know, because we know. Just like the Ukrainian believers know, we live in a fallen world, a sinful world with fallen and sinful and in some cases uh, demonically controlled men, you know, and leaders. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful. So what are we to do? What does a believer in Christ do when troubles come as a result of obeying God's wisdom and word? Well, we are to, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. As Peter said of the devil, resist him firm in your faith. Trust in the Lord. Resist the devil firm in your faith. And, and then in Ephesians, I think of 6.16, it says we're to take up the shield of faith with which we will be able to extinguish the fiery missiles or darts or arrows of the evil one, right? We need to be ready. We need to have on that full armor of God. Uh, Because Hebrews 11.6 says, uh, talks about that trust. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he exists, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that fits right into what we're studying in Proverbs, doesn't it? It's all about faith. It's all about trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. In the New Testament, there is a phrase. I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on it this morning. It's called the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Both Romans 1.5 and Romans 16.26 speak of this. In Romans 1.5, Paul speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. And then in Romans 16.26, Paul speaks of how God's word uh, and gospel and revelation have been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Well, what does that phrase mean, obedience of faith? Well, you see, God commands people to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to believe in him, to receive him as Lord and Savior. He commands sinners to trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them. Therefore, it's called the obedience of faith because it's a command to believe in him. That's what the obedience of faith is all about. In fact, in relation to Christ and the gospel, to believe is essentially the same as to obey. Did we get that? To believe is essentially the same as to obey. And that would be a good message to give to those prisoners, Brother Dennis, um, because a lot of people don't, don't understand that. Put it another way, saving faith and an obedient faith are one and the same. 
They're one and the same. Uh, they are like two sides of the same coin. And this is clear in John 3.36, which says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Obey what? Obey Christ's command to believe. That's what he said. Now, Darby, if you know J.N. Darby, his translation says, He that believes on the Son has life eternal, and he that is not subject to the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. I think of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17, 30 and 31. Paul told the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill That God, he says, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands them to repent. He commands them to believe in Christ. So in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, these verses are talking about a life of total dependence and commitment to God. And by life, I mean your entire, your entire being, your body, soul, and spirit. And that includes your heart and your mind and emotions and will. And we've been studying about this as we've talked about the heart in recent days. <clears throat> as one writer said, actually I think it was Bill McDonald in his commentary, he said, it is a commitment without reserve. It is a commitment without reserve. Uh, Think about this in terms of your salvation. Just think for a moment. When you put your trust in Christ for salvation, to be saved, to be born again, how much did you entrust to him? Everything, right? Everything. Your eternal soul, your eternal destiny, your everything, your body, heart, soul, and spirit. I mean, you can't leave anything out, you know. You entrusted, when you believed in him, you trusted him with everything. And when you truly commit your life to Christ, it is an act of total and permanent commitment where we become totally dependent upon him, having utter confidence in him and in what he says. That's trusting in the Lord with all your heart, with all your being, in other words. How important this is. Thus, we have total confidence in his word when we come to believe in Christ for salvation, uh, both initially at the very beginning, as well as for the rest of our days. Amen? For the rest of our days. And hopefully we're growing in that faith and growing in that trust. This then is where we find ourselves in Proverbs 3. Um, this is where our lives are right now as believers. We are commanded to trust in the Lord. How? With all of our heart. In other words, we're all in. We're all in. Totally. As some of you know, in 2001, I had a mild heart attack. Maybe some of you uh, or many of you don't know that. But I had a heart attack. And since then, I've had 13, count them, 13 cardiac stents installed in this heart of mine, okay? Keeping the arteries open, keeping the precious blood flowing to the rest of me, you know? And I can recall about the second or third time, I think, I think it was maybe the second time that I had to go in for stints. And I'm laying on this hard metal table with a little quarter inch pad on the thing, you know, not very comfortable at all. Um, and uh, in fact, one time 
the second time I did it, my, it was so hard that my back muscles started to spasm and lock up. And I told the doctors that, because you're awake when they do this procedure. And they immediately shot the morphine through my veins, and I went, oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not promoting drugs, but sometimes they really come in handy, right? Uh, anyhow, uh, they're going to, they, they poked a little hole, actually a big hole in my femoral artery um, and ran a wire and a balloon and a deal up there through that artery into my heart. And that's where they would, they'd use that to implant the stents. And, but I remember laying on that table uh, in the calf lab and um, being totally calm, totally at peace. And I just prayed and I said, Lord, uh, I'm trusting you with all of me. And if they make a mistake or make a wrong move, you know, it could be all over. And I realized that I could wake up in heaven with you or I could wake up after this procedure and, and uh, you know, and be awake again and be alive to live another day. Uh, but I had complete peace, complete peace, total peace in my body. My body and my life were in the Lord's hands. And uh, I think every believer should have that no matter what we go through, you know, um, whether you have the flu or have a heart attack or whatever it is, we trust the Lord with all of our heart. Amen. All of our, no pun intended, or I guess there was a pun intended there, but uh, unless you didn't get it. Okay. Notice the don't, the no, the don't do not depend on or rely on your own human intellect and understanding. Excuse me. <clears throat> Do not depend on or rely on your own human intellect or understanding. Verse 5, and do not lean on your own understanding. If you've ever had a broken foot or a broken ankle or an injury of some sort where you used crutches, then you know what this Hebrew word lean means. It simply means to lean on that crutch and depend on it to hold you up instead of your ankle or your foot or your leg, right? That's the idea here. It's the Hebrew word sha'an, and it pictures one leaning on something for support, whether it be a crutch or crutches, and in doing so, you are totally relying on, totally depending on something to support you, uh, to hold you up, because without them, you, you couldn't stand, you know? Without them, your foot couldn't do it. That's the idea. So here in verse 5, He's saying, don't depend on or rely on your own smarts, your own intellect to get you through life, especially when you're dealing with problems and persecution and difficulties. Why not? Well, I'll give you some good reasons in a few minutes, just a minute. But notice that instead of relying on our own understanding or human reasoning or human logic uh, or common sense, as they say, we are to lean on or depend on whom? The Lord, amen? The Lord, Jehovah, in fact, very specific. Uh, Jehovah, the one and only eternally existent covenant-keeping God. That's the meaning of his name. Uh, he is to be the object of our faith or the support which we are to lean on and depend on. And here we see that the father is instructing his son not to focus his trust in the law of God, not only focus his trust in the law of God, but focus his trust in the God of the law. You see, 
the God of the word, in other words. Trust in the Lord, he says. For after all, just who is he? Well, again, he is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful God. Therefore, Paul wrote in Romans 11, 33 and 34, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? In light of all that, why would we as puny human beings for even a one second consider leaning on our own understanding, right? When you know who God is and what he is like. Well, that brings us to the do, which is implied. Uh, don't lean on your own understanding. The do is implied in this case. Do lean on the Lord's wisdom and understanding instead. Amen? On the Lord's wisdom and understanding instead. Uh, this is what true faith and trust are all about. Yet, if we're honest, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart at times goes against our intellect, doesn't it? Our own understanding, depending on the situation that we're facing. During those times when great faith and trust are needed, our own understanding says what? It says, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. No, this, this is totally illogical and unreasonable. Or, no, I just don't understand this. So we're, again, back to trying to lean on our own understanding. I think of some examples, like when God told Abraham and Sarah that she would give birth to a son in her old age and that they would have umpteen children and grandchildren throughout history, which turned out to be the beginning of it, age 100 for Abraham and age 90 for Sarah. That would be a hard thing to understand, right? I'm a, I'm 100 and she's 90 and we're going to have a kid. In fact, we're going to have a zillion kids. <laughs> you know, that would be very difficult to understand. Um, or like when God told Moses, who is facing the Red Sea in front of him, and Pharaoh's armies and chariots behind him, and a couple million Israelites around him, and he's facing that great trial, and... Uh, they're saying, well, what, what now, Moses? This is a fine mess you've gotten us into. Did you bring us out of Egypt into the wilderness so that we could just die out here? What do we do now? Well, Moses said to a very frightened group of people, you know what he said? Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And I can just imagine some of those Israelites who were not so strong in their faith thinking, stand by, keep silent. The Lord will fight for you. Are you kidding me? We're all going to die. But for those who trusted in the Lord and didn't lean on their own brains, um, God did a great thing, didn't he? And as we know, Moses didn't lean on his own understanding or on his own common sense, although I'm sure it would have been tempting to do so. But when God told him to raise his staff up in the air, he did just that. And when he did, the waters of the Red Sea parted. And you know the story, that path was made on dry land from one side all the way to the other. And yeah, he did need a little help holding the staff up. He got tired after a while, you know. So he got some help doing that. 
Um, but they were able, some two million Israelites, to cross over and escape from Pharaoh's armies. So why should we not lean on our own understanding? Here are some reasons, just some simple reasons. First, God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. You know this from Isaiah chapter 55. In fact, his ways and thoughts are infinitely higher and beyond ours, including being far beyond our understanding. Amen? Again, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, you can read about that. Why should we not lean on our own understanding? Second, because our understanding is not trustworthy. Our understanding is not trustworthy. And if you think it is, then just get married and or have teenagers. Okay? Uh, If you think your understanding is trustworthy. Uh, I, I know this probably um, attacks our pride, but we must realize that human understanding, even as saved people, our human understanding is still darkened to a degree, right? By our sinful nature, by spiritual blindness, by hardened, deceptive hearts at times. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, it is describing the unsaved, um, but it says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, unbelievers, also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And then Jeremiah seventeen nine, you know well, it says the heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. It's desperately Wicked, who can understand it? Uh, Now, I know as saved people, our hearts have been enlightened. And we have the Holy Spirit and we have that illumination. But there is still, I believe, the residual effects of sin uh, that affect our understanding at times. And that's why we have to go to Proverbs. We have to go to the Word of God to have that wisdom and understanding and insight. And what does Proverbs call it? The discernment uh, and knowledge that we need even as believers. Third, third reason. Human understanding has its limits, while God's understanding is what? Infinite. Oh, that's amazing. Infinite. That's that's really incredible. Um, His understanding is so far beyond ours. Um, We read Romans 11 that his ways are unfathomable or past finding out, Romans 11, 33 and 34. Uh, A fourth reason, though, human understanding is often in conflict with or contrary to human wisdom and understanding. Uh, The two often clash, you know. I mean, I know even in our our 40, almost 49 years of married life, uh, you know, uh, boy, we're going to take the step of faith or not? on whatever the issue was. And what is the problem? Should just take the step of faith. Well, there's human understanding that kind of is, it conflicts with God's understanding and with God's way of doing things. And we, we have that struggle as believers. I'm, I'm sure you understand how that works. Um, human reasoning and understanding often clash with his. Think about it this way, just give an example. I mean, had you been the founder of the Christian faith, 
Had you been the founder of the Christian faith and church, would you have chosen to use as the foundation and pillars of the church individuals such as a sinful, uneducated, foul-mouthed fisherman like Peter? Would you have chosen him for one of your main guys at the beginning? You know, Or a dishonest, selfish trader and tax collector like Matthew? Or a legalistic a legalistic, hateful, and murderous Pharisee like Saul before he was converted, or a virtually faithless doubter like Thomas. Would you have chosen those guys to, to start the <laughs> Christianity and start the church? Well, probably not. Of course not. No one in their right mind would do that. Uh, but the Lord Jesus did, and he was, certainly was in his right mind. Um, but God's ways are not our ways. It's just... In fact, often they're just the opposite. Amazingly, think about it this way. Amazingly, God chose people like me and people like you to serve him in his kingdom. Now, that's really beyond understanding. No offense, okay? (laughs) Right? It really is. This is made clear in 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. I love this passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1. 24 and following, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. I just love that passage. I think of my background, what I came from, in terms of my father and my, just my whole background. And I think, Lord, why in the world did you ever choose me and call me to be a preacher? It's pretty shocking. If you knew the details, you'd be even more shocked. In heaven, no one will be able to boast and say, well, God chose me because of my nobility, because of my great wisdom, because of my family background, because of my strength, because of my elite status in society. No, you know what Paul said? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? By the grace of God. Nothing to do with me. It was a gift, folks. A merciful, gracious, loving gift, and I praise him for it. So if we're not to lean on our own understanding, then what are we to do? Well, the next command tells us, verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, how many have memorized this verse? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Probably most of you. But I sometimes wonder, do we really understand totally what it means? In all your ways acknowledge him. What is that? Well, here's the command, here's the do. Spelled out, intimately know and acknowledge God in all your ways, actions, and experiences of life. Intimately know and acknowledge God in all your ways, actions, and experiences of life. This includes, folks, your spiritual life, moral life, sex life, business life, your ethics, your social life, your church life, your thought life, your married life. 
everything without exception acknowledge him in every realm of life. And this means knowing God, specifically knowing God, recognize, let me back up, acknowledge him in all your ways. What word do you see in that word acknowledge? Knowledge, right? Know, the word know. The word know. In every area of life, without exception, is to be lived in an intimate, vital, and conscious relationship with him because you know him. That's why coming to know the Lord is so cool and so wonderful. That is, we know the Lord and his word and thus his will so intimately that we relinquish control of everything in our lives to him. And again, it's all done by what? By faith, by trusting in the Lord. Therefore, his will becomes our will. His life becomes our life. This is what acknowledge him in all your ways or paths means. That is, we allow God to live his life through us. This is really akin to walking in the Spirit or to being filled with the Spirit. Uh, To be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, means we yield everything to the Spirit, to his will and to his power. Now, what is the reward? The reward is he will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. That means that just as they would do for a king in ancient times, God will go ahead of us. He will go ahead of us uh, and he will smooth the road and clear the path and he'll remove all the obstacles out of the way so that we can reach the destination that he intends for us, which as believers is heaven, right? Now notice it does not say, and he will make your path easy. And without trials or troubles or without difficulties or deterrence or interruptions along the way. It never says that, but he says he'll smooth the way and so that you can, you can follow the path that he has laid out sovereignly for your life. So when things can really get tough and bump, it's a bumpy road, you need to remember that, right? God has already prepared the way and he's going to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me including going over that bumpy road, if it is one. It means, here's what it really means, that when we encounter those things, he will enable us to rise above everything in our path that threatens to destroy us, trip us up, or throw us off course that may keep us from reaching our destination. He's going to do that for us. But in order to experience that, we have to, with all of our heart, trust him and lean on him totally and completely. And so I'd like to close with this. Uh, Many of you are familiar with Robert Munger's little book, My Heart, Christ's Home. How many have heard of that book? Not many of you are familiar with Robert Munger's little book, My Heart. Okay, well, now you're going to be familiar Please get this little book. It's a wonderful book. I'm just going to give you the very simple summary of this little book. My heart, he likens, compares uh, your heart to Christ's home because that's where Christ dwells, right? He dwells in your heart. And it's based on a verse in Ephesians 
3.17, which says, So that Christ may dwell or literally settle down and be at home in your hearts through faith. That he may dwell. And that means in the Greek to settle down and be at home in your hearts through faith. There's that trust again. And in the booklet, Munger compares the heart of the Christian to one's house. And Jesus goes into the house and he does a walkthrough through your house, through your heart. Okay, From one room to the other, inspecting the believer's heart, if you will. First, he enters the library, which is the mind. And there Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things sometimes which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. And those things which are true and honorable and pure and lovely and of good repute and excellent and worthy of praise, Philippians 4.8. And in the dining room, he goes there, of the appetites, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. Again, he replaces such things as prestige and materialism and sinful lust and he replaces those things with humility and meekness and love and all the other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst and then he goes into the living room of fellowship this is the living room where you fellowship and uh, you get together with people and and he says you know we really haven't been spending much time together here you haven't been showing up i'm always here in the living room but but you haven't been showing up He says, I really miss meeting and spending time with you here. In fact, we haven't met together for quite a while. And so he checks out the living room. And then in the workshop, he finds that only cheap little toys are being made. Nothing of eternal value uh, in the workshop. Sadly, certain gifts are being wasted. But then he goes down a hallway in this house as he does the walkthrough. And he begins to smell a very strong and repulsive odor, odor, and it it seems to be coming out of a locked closet. And this locked closet, he says to the uh, Christian, he says, I need the key to get in there. And and the guy says, uh, in the book, this is in the book, the guy says, you know, Lord, you've, you've, you've covered everything else. You've been everywhere else. You don't have to go into this closet, do you? Well, this closet is where rotting Secret sins are stored and kept. And only, the point is this, folks. Only when Christ has cleaned every room, closet, and corner of our house, the house of our heart, can sin and foolishness be cleansed, and then can Christ settle down and be at home in our hearts. The question for you and I today is, have we allowed him to do that? Or do we need to allow him to do that? In relation to this, one writer put it this way. He says, Jesus enters the house of our hearts the moment he saves us. But he cannot live there in comfort and satisfaction until it is cleansed of sin and filled with his will. God is gracious beyond comprehension and infinitely patient. He continues to love those of his children who insist on spurning his will. But he cannot be happy or satisfied in such a heart. He cannot be fully at home until 
he is allowed to dwell in our hearts through the continuing faith that trusts him to exercise his lordship over every aspect of our lives. End quote. Isn't that a great statement? It's great because it's true. May such be true of each one of us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. I trust that you've been speaking to all of our hearts. And I trust, Lord, that we've been listening. And I trust that each one of us have been challenged by your spirit and by your word. Oh, Lord, it's so, so wonderful and comforting and peaceful to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. But in all of our ways acknowledge you, know you intimately, know what you want and, and know you and how you can, you can enable us to walk those paths successfully. We praise you for that. And I pray for each person here who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that you would enable each of us to walk in this way and to glorify the name of our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.